It's the 1st of November in the year of our salvation, 2008. This is the Feast of All Saints. And you're back with Father Z and another podcast. We welcome as our guest today, Venerable Bede, who died in 735. He'll speak to us today from the pages of the Roman Breviary. There's an excerpt from one of his sermons about all saints in Matins. And this is, of course, the Breviary as it was before the Council. We'll also have two more installments, two more stories from the little world of Don Camilo by Giovanni Quareschi. Today we welcome Venerable Bede, who died in 735. Bede was a Benedictine monk in Northumbria, not exactly a garden spot back in the 8th century. He was a great scholar and historian, having written the ecclesiastical history of the English people. He was a scientist. He wrote about the seasons and calculation of time and other things. He was a poet who wrote in the vernacular in Old English. He is a doctor of the church, and we call him Venerable. Uh, there's an old schoolboy joke about calling him Venomous Bede, but he's Venerable. We call him Venerable from long custom, not because there was a formal process in the congregation for saints whereby he was declared to have lived a life of heroic virtue. Uh, that's a modern process, but this is an ancient, this is an old, old tradition to call him Venerable Bede. So Bede was one of those remarkable men of his day who seems to have had an encyclopedic grasp of many spheres of learning, but he also was able to integrate uh, what he knew in a consistent and very beautiful Christian vision. So uh, we're going to dig into an excerpt from one of his sermons, which is presented in the Roman Breviary in one of the Nocturnes, for matins. This is, of course, the breviary from before all the changes, and uh, we will hear some of the Latin and then the English of the text. And as I read, keep your ears tuned to how Bede very skillfully balances pairs of elements. Uh, for example, roses and lilies, virginity and martyrdom, uh, the realm of the passing and the the eternal life, sufferings and rewards. And uh, even from the very beginning, there are uh, there's a wonderful pairing of the heavenly and the earthly. Actually, there are three elements there, heaven, earth, and church. But we can get back to that uh, after the reading. Uh, Bede's Latin runs very smoothly. Bede is one of these great authors for people whose Latin, you know, they have a little Latin, but it might not be real strong, but they want to read something Christian that's well written. So Bede is, is very good, and he's not too hard. Uh, now the piece you're going to hear is obviously from a sermon, and therefore that's a specific genre. He's not talking, you know, with very complex language like he might in his more scientific writings. Uh, this is a very different genre from 
you know his prose, but you will hear how how very easily, how very fluidly he uses the language. It flows beautifully from his lips as he speaks, from his quill as he as he scribbles. You know, some Latin authors are just like that. You know, among the pagans, we have Ovid, for example, who can just write line after line after line, and they flow beautifully, just almost effortlessly. Uh, Bede, Bede is a bit like that when you when you hear enough of him. Now, listen to how uh, Bede will address himself also uh, to our present lot in life. Now, I mentioned you know at the top that Northumbria in the eighth century wasn't exactly a garden spot, and what I mean by that is that life in those days up there when it was very cold wasn't exactly a bed of lilies or a bed of roses um, and yet it's interesting how, in their hardship, there are these monasteries that produce these great minds, great men, and great studies I suppose they because they didn't have television, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have WDTPRS.com well, you know, the poorer them I guess, but it gave them a chance to study and to think about what they learned and to learn it well but uh, life was hard back then in the 8th century but you know, our life isn't exactly easy either in a lot of ways. Uh, We have comforts that they lacked but we also have perhaps many more spiritual perils to endure. And I think that Bede would agree that if we in our era can get out of this life loving God and dying in his friendship, then our reward might be greater than that of those who perhaps endured more physical discomforts, who lived in relatively, at least compared to ours, simpler times where the dangers were perhaps not so subtle and devious. So let's hear this excerpt from a sermon by Venerable Bede. The sermon is taken from Matins in the Roman Breviary for the 1st of November, the Feast of All Saints. Today, dearly beloved, we celebrate the Feast of All the Saints with one solemn rejoicing, in whose fellowship heaven is glad, in whose patronage the earth rejoices, with whose triumphs holy church is crowned, whose confession is the more glorious in honor, as their agony was the more intense. Since, as the fight grew fiercer, it increased the glory of those who fought, and their manifold sufferings adorned the triumph of their martyrdom. For the greater the torments, the greater were the rewards. 
while our Holy Mother, the Catholic Church, spread far and wide throughout the whole world, has been taught in Christ Jesus, her head, not to fear shame, nor cross, nor death, having become stronger and stronger, not by resisting, but by enduring. She has inspired all those whom the cruel prison immured in a glorious band to carry on the conflict with an equal and similar fire of courage in order to gain the triumphal glory. O truly blessed Mother Church, whom the glory of the divine condescension so illumines, whom the glorious blood of the victorious martyrs adorns, whom the white garment of virginity clothes with an inviolate confession. Neither roses nor lilies are wanting to thy garlands. And now, dearly beloved, let each and every one strive that they may gain the highest dignity of one or the other of these honors, either the white crowns of virginity or the red crowns of martyrdom. In the heavenly camps, both peace and war have their own garlands with which the soldiers of Christ are crowned. For the ineffable and boundless goodness of God has also provided this, that the period of labors and of struggles should not indeed be drawn out, should not be made long or without end, but brief and, so to speak, momentary. So that in this short and fleeting life there are labors and struggles, but in that which is eternal crowns and rewards of merits, that the labors indeed should soon be over, but the rewards of merits should last forever, that after the darkness of this world they are to see an exceedingly bright light, and are to receive blessedness greater than the bitterness of all their torments, as the Apostle bears witness to this when he says, the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared with the glory to come that shall be revealed in us. Odie dilectissimi omnium sanctorum sub una solemnitatis Laetitia celebramus festivitatem. Quorum societate celum exultat, quorum patrocinis terra letatur, triumphis ecclesia sancta coronatur. Quorum confessio quanto in passione fortior, tanto est clarior in honore. Quia cum crevit pugna, Crevit et pugnantium gloria, et martirii triumphus multiplici passionum genere adornatur, perque graviora tormenta graviora fuere et premia. Dum catholica mater ecclesia, que per totum orbem longe lateque diffusa est, in ipso capite suo Christo Jesu edocta est contumelias, Cruces et mortem non timere, magis magisque roborata, non resistendo, sed perferendo, 
universis quos agmine inclito carcer pernalis inclusit, pariet simili calore virtutis ad gerendum certamen gloriam triumphalem inspiravit. O vere beata mater ecclesia, quam sic honor divine dignationis illuminat, quam vincentium gloriosus martrum sanguis exornat, quam inviolate confessionis candida induit virginitas, floribus eus nec rose nec lilia desunt, certent nunc carissimis singuli, ut ad utrosque honores amplissimam accipiant dignitatem, coronas vel de virginitate candidas, vel de passione purpureas. In celestibus catristris pax et acies habent flore suos, quibus milites Christi coronantur. Dei enim ineffabilis et immensa bonitas etiam hoc providit, ut laborum quidem tempus et agonis non extenderet nec longum faceret aut eternum, sed breve et, ut itedicam, momentanium, ut in hac brevi et exigua vita agones essent et labores, in illa vero que eternest, corone et premia meritorum. Ut labores, quidem cito finirentur, meritorum vero premia sine fine durarent. Ut post huius mundi tenebras visuriesent candidissimam lucem, et accepturi maiorem passionum cunctarum accerbitatibus beatitudinem, testante hoc idem apostolo, ubi air non sunt condigne passiones huius temporis ad superventuram gloriam, que revelabitur in nobis. That was from a sermon by Venerable Bede. And I found his reminder of the shortness of this life, a consoling reminder about the shortness of his life, to be very moving. It, it is, in fact, probably the most important thing we can take away from this. That uh, this life isn't going to last forever. And as a matter of fact, it's just, just a blink of an eye. I was reminded in, in listening to this of a story a doctor friend of mine tells about uh, the, the kind of patient who, once they are diagnosed, will uh, exclaim in frustration, Do I have to take this medicine forever? And the doctor usually just you know replies calmly, No, just until you die. Sometimes I think we lose sight of the fact that this earthly life is not eternal, that it will end. Yet, 
it comes to an end, and it isn't all that far off, though sometimes it seems like it. We lose perspective about this, don't we? We need a little memento mori from time to time, which is what an illness or an injury or something like that can do. But when things are kind of going along all right, we're not, when we're not being jolted, I think we need other things. We need to reflect on the fact that this life is not what we are really destined to. We're not going to live forever. Heaven awaits us. That's what we are really aiming towards. That's what why God really made us, is to serve him and love him in this world, of course, but to be happy with him in the next, a next world which will not end. And it's our membership in the church which opens up for us this road and, and smooths this very rocky, difficult, steep, sometimes very often thorny and dangerous road toward heaven. Not a long road, but a, but still a difficult and a perilous. It's the church that helps us with this. We who belong to the church have these tremendous advantages. And Bede introduces the church into this sermon in a, in a beautiful way. At the very beginning of this extract that we heard, uh, he introduces the pairs, the pairing of heaven and of earth, and he sets. As a matter of fact, he sets up the pair uh, with with a grammatical um, flag for you to listen to. For example, he sets up the fellowship of heaven with quorum, and the patronage of the earth with quorum. But then, when he talks about the church, he has it in a different grammatical pattern. It's as if the church, which has the authority from Christ himself to crown the day that we're celebrating with triumphs, the church is our connection, the key to the heavenly and the earthly, the key to both the earthly and the heavenly. While we belong to the church, we also belong, to a certain extent, the church that's in heaven, in that we're all connected, aren't we? The saints who have gone before us are still connected with us, and we to them. We are also connected to the poor souls in purgatory, whom we are going to remember with a special diligence during this month. We are all connected, church triumphant, yes, church suffering in purgatory, but also the church militant. We're connected in every way, in every direction, I should say. And so Bede takes the opportunity in this to praise the church, uh, because the church is precisely for saints, right? The church is precisely for making saints on earth through whatever path it is that's going to bring them to the glories of heaven, whether it or not it be virginity or martyrdom. The church is the path to joy to heaven. And we're not going to have to wait a long time to find out how things are going to go. So we really need to remain within Holy Church and strive to live as best we can the life that God has designated for us. Now, Bede here is going, you know, is presenting to us two paths, um, the two great paths that were exalted in the early church the path of martyrdom and the path of virginity. But no matter what our vocation is or what our destiny is, it, re- it 
requires from us the regulation of our passions, doesn't it? And I really do mean to make a pun out of that, our passions. Our passions in the sense of physical and emotional passions, but also our passions in the sense of sufferings. So we can draw from the pairing of virginity and martyrdom the lesson that no matter what our path is, you know, for you know, married or single, if we're in a dangerous place where we might be martyred, or whether or not we're just enduring the sufferings of day-to-day things, whether it could be the quiet sense of martyring of a very, you know, like a hospital religious atmosphere, or maybe the difficulties that come from uh, being alone or imprisoned or, you know, shunned or you know, whatever it might be, whatever kind of martyrdom we might endure, um, the, whatever difficulties we might have with appetites and passions, we have to remember that we cannot get to the glory of heaven without some kind of suffering, without some kind of passion. We have to be passionate, but in the proper way. So whatever our vocation, we have to strive for the crown of glory in heaven. And it is possible and it's not going to take that long to find out what's going to happen at the end of our life because our life just really isn't that long and it may be that one of you listening out there may one day be raised to the dignity of the altar be declared a saint and maybe you you won't be maybe none of us will be but If we are the sort of person who at death dies in God's friendship and thus comes to the glories of heaven, then we will be also celebrated on this day and the Feast of All Saints. Great saints have their feast days. Saints also, like fashions, come and go and are in this age on the calendar and in that age they're not on the calendar but today we remember all the saints who were very famous and those who were hidden those who just lived their lives and died quietly in God's friendship so this feast day reminds us that yes this can be done we can come to heaven And no, this life doesn't last forever. So we can rejoice with the saints and ask their help and be a good member of the church and also be passionate about our goal.
market stalls to the worried mother, selling all the mangoes for the price of Magendo. Magendo. We were told about the factory song. They had a promise there would be a better day. My brothers found out they were wrong. It had a melody that was filled with hard labor. Hard labor. Next to the fancy car, to the man in overcoat. He doesn't see the crowd, he thinks only of his comfort. Man in overalls, he has a mighty throat, fruits of hard labor. Then you find that you 
Let's now hear two more stories from the little world of Don Camilo by Giovanni Guareschi. I started reading these stories a while ago in other podcasts, and you can find them very easily by consulting the podcast page on the blog WDTPRS. That's Whiskey Delta Tango Papa Romeo Sierra dot com. These are wonderful stories about a little town in northern Italy along the banks of the Po River, and they take place in the time after World War II, when the, in Italy there was a struggle for control between the Communists and the Christian Democrats. Now, the main characters are, of course, Don Camillo, Don Camillo Tarocci, a big, powerful man, very physically very strong and very passionate, and then also his nemesis, the communist mayor, Big Joe, in Italian, Peppone, and, of course, the large crucifix in the parish church with whom Don Camillo converses on a regular basis. These stories are wonderful because they have little insights into the human condition, 
and of course also into how to apply our Catholic faith sometimes uh, when we are uh, just alone with our consciences or running into conflicts with people. These stories can maybe give us a little insight. So we're going to hear two more stories from the little world of Don Camillo, the first in a series of books by Giovanni Guareschi. Today we turn into rivals or rivalry and also crime and punishment. Rivalry A big shot from the city was going to visit the village, and people were coming from all the surrounding cells. Therefore, Peppone decreed that the ceremony was to be held in the big square. He had a large platform decorated with red erected, and got one of those trucks with four great loudspeakers and all the electric mechanism inside it for amplifying the voice. And so, on the afternoon of that Sunday, the public square was crammed with people, and so also was the church square, which happened to be next to it. Don Camillo shut all the doors and withdrew into the sacristy, so as to avoid seeing or hearing anything which would put him in a temper. He was actually dozing when a voice like the wrath of God roused him with a jerk as it bellowed, Comrades! It was as though the walls had melted away. Don Camillo went to work off his indignation at the high altar. They must have aimed one of their accursed loudspeakers directly at the church, he exclaimed. It is nothing short of violation of domicile. What can you do about it, Don Camillo? It is progress, replied Christ. After a few generalizations, the voice got down to business, and, since the speaker was an extremist, he made no bones about it. We must remain within the law, and we shall do so, even at the cost of taking up our weapons and using the firing squad on all the enemies of the people. Don Camillo was pawing the ground like a restive horse. Lord, only listen to him. I hear him, Don Camillo. I hear him only too well. Lord, why don't you drop a thunderbolt on all that rabble? Don Camillo, let us remain within the law. If your method of driving the truth into the head of one who is in error is to shoot him down, what was the use of my crucifixion? Don Camillo shrugged. You are right, of course. We can do nothing but wait for them to crucify us, too. Christ smiled. If instead of speaking first and then thinking over what you have said, you thought first and did the speaking afterwards, you might not have to regret the foolish things you say. Don Camilo bowed his head. As for those who, hiding in the shadow of the crucifix, attempt with the poison of their ambiguous words to spread dissension among the masses of the workers, the voice of the loudspeaker, borne on the wind, filled the church and shook the bright-colored glass in the Gothic windows. 
Don Camilo grabbed a heavy bronze candlestick and, brandishing it like a club, made for the church door. Don Camilo, stop! You will not leave the church until everyone has gone away. Oh, very well, replied Don Camilo, putting the candlestick back on the altar. I obey. He marched up and down the church and finally stopped in front of Christ. But in here I can do as I please? Naturally, Don Camilo. Here you are in your own house, and free to do exactly as you wish, short of climbing up to a window and firing at the people below. Three minutes later, Don Camilo, leaping and bounding cheerfully in the bell-chamber of the church-tower, was performing the most infernal carillon that had ever been heard in the village. The orator was forced to interrupt his speech, and turned to the local authorities who were standing with him on the platform. "'He must be stopped!' the big shot cried indignantly. Peponi agreed gravely, nodding his head. "'He must indeed,' he replied. "'And there are just two ways of stopping him. One is to explode a mine under the church tower, and the other is to bombard it with heavy artillery.' The orator told him to stop talking nonsense. Surely it was easy enough to break in the door of the tower and climb the stairs. Well, said Pepone calmly, you go up by ladders from landing to landing. Look, comrade, do you see those projections just by the big window of the belfry? They are the steps that the bell-ringer has removed as he went up. By closing the trap-door of the top landing, he is cut off from the world. We might try firing at the windows of the tower, suggested Zmilzo. Certainly, agreed Piponi, but we would have to knock him out with the first shot, otherwise he'd begin firing, and then there might be trouble. The bell stopped ringing for a moment, and the orator resumed his speech. All went well so long as he was careful to say nothing of which Don Camilo disapproved. Otherwise, Don Camilo immediately began a counter-argument with his bells. In the end, the speech was merely pathetic and patriotic, and was therefore respected by the threatening bells. That evening, Peppone met Don Camilo. "'Watch out, Don Camilo, this baiting could bring you to a bad end. There is no baiting involved, replied Don Camilo calmly. You blow your trumpets, and we ring our bells. That, comrade, is democracy. If, on the other hand, only one person is allowed to perform, that is dictatorship. Peppone held his peace. But one morning Don Camillo got up to find a merry-go-round, a swing, three shooting galleries, a ferris wheel, and an indefinite number of other booths set up, within exactly one foot of the line that divided the public square from the church square. The owners of the amusement park showed him their permits, duly signed by the mayor, and Don Camillo retired without comment to the rectory. That evening, all hell broke loose in the form of barrel organs, loudspeakers, gunfire, shouting and singing, bells whistling, screaming and bellowing. Don Camilo went to protest to Christ. This shows a lack of respect for the house of God. 
Is there anything that is immoral or scandalous? asked Christ. No, merry-go-round swings, little motor cars, chiefly children's amusements. Well, then, it is simply democracy. But this infernal din, protested Don Camillo, the din is democracy, too, provided it remains within the law. Outside church territory, the mayor is in command, my son. One side of the rectory adjoined the square, and exactly underneath one of its windows a strange apparatus had been erected. This immediately aroused Don Camilo's curiosity. It was a small column, about three feet high, topped by a kind of stuffed mushroom covered with leather. Behind it was another column, taller and more slender, which had a large dial with numbers from one to one thousand. A blow was struck at the mushroom, and the dial recorded its force. Don Camilo, squinting through the cracks of the shutters, began to enjoy himself. By eleven o'clock in the evening, the highest number recorded was seven hundred fifty, and that stood to the credit of Badile, the Gretti's cowman, who had fists like sacks of potatoes. Then suddenly Comrade Peppone made his appearance, surrounded by his satellites. All the people came running to watch, crying, "'Go on, Peppone, whack it!' Peppone removed his jacket, rolled up his sleeves, and took his stand opposite the machine, measuring the distance with his clenched fist. There was total silence, and even Don Camillo felt his heart hammering. Peppone's fist sailed through the air and struck the mushroom. Nine hundred and fifty! yelled the owner of the machine. I've only seen one other man get that score, and he was a longshoreman in Genoa. The crowd howled enthusiastically. Peppone put on his coat again, raised his head, and looked up at the shuttered window where Don Camillo was hiding. To whom it may concern, he remarked loudly, I might say that a blow that registers nine hundred and fifty is no joke. Everyone looked up at the rectory window and laughed. Don Camillo went to bed with his legs shaking under him. The next evening he was there again, peeking from behind his window and waiting feverishly for the clock to strike eleven. Once again Peppone arrived with his staff, took off his coat, rolled up his sleeves, and aimed a mighty blow at the mushroom. Nine hundred and fifty-one! howled the crowd, and once again they looked up at Don Camillo's window and snickered. Peppone also looked up. To whom it may concern, he remarked loudly. I might say that a blow that registers nine hundred and fifty-one is no joke. Don Camillo went to bed that night with a temperature. Next day he went and knelt before Christ. Lord, he sighed, I am being dragged over the precipice. Be strong and resist, Don Camillo. That evening Don Camillo went to his peephole in the window as though he were on his way to the scaffold. The story of Peppone's feet had spread like wildfire, and the whole countryside had come to see the performance. When Peppone appeared, there was an audible whisper of, Here he is. Peppone looked up, jeering, 
took off his coat, raised his fist, and there was silence. Nine hundred and fifty-two! Don Camilo, when he saw a million eyes fixed on his window, lost the light of reason and hurled himself out of the room. To whom, Pepone did not have time to finish, Don Camilo already stood before him. The crowd bellowed and then was suddenly silent. Don Camilo threw out his chest, took a firm stance, threw away his hat and crossed himself. Then he raised his formidable fist and struck hard. One thousand! yelled the crowd. To whom it may concern, I might say that a blow that registers one thousand is no joke, remarked Don Camilo. Peppone had grown rather pale, and his satellites were glancing at him doubtfully, hesitating between resentment and disappointment. Other bystanders were chuckling delightedly. Peppone looked Don Camillo straight in the eye and took off his hat again. He stepped in front of the machine and raised his fist. Lord, whispered Don Camillo hastily. Peppone's fist sailed through the air. One thousand bawled the crowd, and Peppone's bodyguard rejoiced. At one thousand, all blows are formidable. "'observed Smilzo. "'I think we'll leave it at that.' "'Peppone went triumphantly in one direction, "'while Don Camillo walked off triumphantly in the other. "'Lord,' said Don Camillo, when he knelt before the crucifix, "'I thank you. I was scared to death. "'That you wouldn't make a thousand? "'No, that that pig-headed fool wouldn't make it too. I would have had it on my conscience. I knew it, and it was lucky that I came to your help, replied Christ, smiling. Moreover, Peppone, as soon as he saw you, nearly died for fear you wouldn't reach nine hundred and fifty-two. Possibly, muttered Don Camillo, who now and then liked to appear skeptical. Crime and Punishment One morning, as he was leaving the house, Don Camillo discovered that someone had defaced the white wall of the rectory by writing in red letters two feet high, Don Camalo, which means stevedore, and which undoubtedly referred to a feat of strength and daring which Don Camillo had performed a few days before. It was on Easter morning that Don Camillo had found a colossal chocolate egg tied up with a red silk ribbon on his doorstep. On closer inspection, it turned out to be a formidable egg that resembled chocolate, but was actually a two-hundred-pound bomb, shorn of its pins, and painted a nice rich brown. The donor was not hard to guess, for there was a card attached which read Happy Easter, and its receipt had been carefully planned. The church square was thronged with people, all eyeing Don Camillo and enjoying his discomfort. Don Camillo kicked the egg, which naturally remained immovable. "'It's pretty heavy!' someone shouted. "'Needs a bomb-removal squad!' suggested another voice. "'Try blessing it!' 
"'And see if it doesn't walk off of its own accord!' cried a third voice. Don Camilo turned pale, and his knees began to tremble. Then he bent down, and with his immense hands grasped the bomb by its extremities. "'Lord!' whispered Don Camilo desperately. "'Heave ho, Don Camilo!' replied a quiet voice that came from the high altar. Slowly and implacably Don Camilo straightened his back with the enormous mass of iron in his hands. He stood for a moment contemplating the crowd, and then set out. He left the church square, and step by step, slow and inexorable as fate, crossed the big square. The crowd followed in silence, amazed. On reaching the far end of the square, opposite the party headquarters, he stopped, and the, the crowd stopped, too. "'Lord,' whispered Don Camilo desperately. "'Heave ho, Don Camilo,' came a rather anxious voice from the now distant high altar of the church. Don Camilo collected himself, then with one sudden movement brought the great weight up to his chest." Another effort, and the bomb began slowly to rise higher, watched by the now frightened crowd. One moment the bomb was poised above Don Camilo's head. The next it lay on the ground exactly in front of the party headquarters. Don Camilo looked at the crowd. "'Returned to sender,' he observed in a loud voice. "'Easter!' is spelled with an A. Correct and re-deliver. The crowd made way for him, and Don Camilo returned triumphantly to the rectory. Don Camilo savored the memory of this feat, and to find it treated as a public joke in the form of a pun plastered in red letters on the rectory wall hurt a most tender spot, his vanity. He tried to cover the inscription with a bucket of whitewash and a large brush, but it was written in aniline red, so that whitewash was completely useless, and the letters only glared more violently. Don Camilo had to resort to scraping, and the job took him easily half the day. When he went to talk things over, he was as white as a baker all over, but in a distinctly black frame of mind. "'If I can only find out who did it,' he said, "'I'll beat the daylights out of him.' "'Don't be melodramatic, Don Camilo,' Christ advised him. "'This is some urchin's doing. "'After all, no one has really insulted you.' "'Do you think it is proper to call a priest a stevedore?' protested Don Camilo. "'And then it's the kind of nickname that, if people catch on to it, could stick to me all my life.' "'You've got broad shoulders, Don Camilo,' Christ consoled him with a smile. "'I never had shoulders like yours, and yet I bore the cross without beating anybody.' Don Camilo agreed that Christ was right. But he was not satisfied, and that evening, instead of going to bed, he stood in a strategic position and waited patiently. Toward two o'clock in the morning, an individual appeared in the church square, and, with a small pail on the ground beside him, set to work carefully upon the wall of the rectory. 
Don Camilo didn't give him time even to complete the letter D before he overturned the pail on the fellow's head and sent him flying with a terrific kick in the pants. Aniline Dye is an accursed thing, and Zmilzo stayed home for three days, scrubbing his face with every conceivable concoction. When he did go out and work, he was greeted with the name of Redskin. Don Camilo fanned the flames until he discovered, when it was too late, that the handle of his front door had received a coating of red color. Without saying a word, Don Camilo went and found Zmilzo at the tavern, and with a blow that was enough to blind an elephant, plastered his face with the paint collected from the door handle. Naturally, the affair immediately took on a political aspect, and since Zmilzo was supported by half a dozen of his own party, Don Camilo was forced to use a bench in self-defense. The six who had been routed by Don Camilo's bench were seething. The tavern was in an uproar, and that same evening an unknown person serenaded Don Camilo by throwing a firecracker in front of the rectory door. Now the transition from firecrackers to grenades is easily made, and things did seem to be getting out of hand when, one fine morning, Don Camillo received an urgent summons to the city because the bishop wished to speak to him. The bishop was old and bent, and in order to look Don Camillo in the face he had to raise his head considerably. "'Don Camillo,' he said, "'you are not well.' "'You need to spend a few months in a beautiful mountain village. "'Yes, yes. "'The parish priest at Punta Rosa died recently, "'and so we can kill two birds with one stone. "'You will be able to reorganize the parish for me, "'and at the same time you will regain your health. "'Then you will come back as fresh as a rose. "'Don Pietro, a young man who will make no trouble,' "'We'll substitute for you. "'Are you pleased, Don Camillo?' "'No, Excellency, but I shall leave as soon as Your Excellency wishes.' "'Good,' replied the bishop. "'Your discipline is the more commendable, "'as you accept without discussion my instructions "'to do something that is against your personal inclinations. "'Excellency, wouldn't you be displeased "'if the people of my parish said that I ran away because I was afraid?' "'No,' replied the old man, smiling. "'Nobody on this earth could ever think that Don Camillo was afraid. "'Go with God, Don Camillo, and leave benches alone. "'They never constitute a Christian argument.' "'The news spread quickly in the village after Peppone announced it in person at a special meeting. "'Don Camillo is going,' he proclaimed. "'transferred to some godforsaken mountain village. "'He is leaving tomorrow afternoon at three o'clock.' "'Hurrah!' shouted the entire meeting. "'And may he croak when he gets there!' "'All things considered, it's the best way out,' said Pepone. "'He was beginning to think he was the king, "'and the Pope rolled into one. "'If he had stayed here, we would have had to put him in his place. "'This saves us the trouble.' "'and we will let him slink away like a whipped 
Kerr howled Brusco. Make the village understand that anyone who is caught on the church square at three o'clock will hear from the party. The time came for Don Camillo to say good-bye to Christ above the altar. I wish I could take you with me, sighed Don Camillo. I will go with you just the same, replied Christ. Don't worry. Have I really done anything bad enough to deserve being sent away? asked Don Camillo. Yes. Then everyone is against me, sighed Don Camillo. Everyone, replied Christ. Even Don Camillo himself disapproves of what you have done. That is true enough, Don Camillo acknowledged. I could hit myself. Keep your hands quiet, Don Camillo, and a pleasant journey to you. In a city, fear can affect fifty percent of the people, but in a village, the percentage is doubled. The roads were deserted. Don Camillo climbed into the train, and as he watched his church tower disappear behind a clump of trees, he felt very low indeed. Not even a dog remembered me, he sighed. It is clear that I have failed in my duties, and it is also clear that I am a bad egg. The train was a local that stopped at every station, and therefore it stopped at Boschetto, which consisted of five houses about four miles away from Don Camillo's own village. Suddenly Don Camillo found his compartment invaded. He was hustled to the window, and saw a crowd of people clapping their hands and throwing flowers. Pepone's men had said that if anyone in the village showed up to see you off, it meant trouble, the farmer from Stradalunga explained, and so to avoid trouble, we all came on here to say goodbye. Don Camillo was completely dazed, and felt a humming in his ears. When the train moved off, the entire compartment was filled with flowers, bottles, bundles, and parcels of all sizes, while poultry with their legs tied together clucked and protested from the baggage racks overhead. But there was still a thorn in his heart. And the others? They must really hate me to have done such a thing. It wasn't even enough for them to get me sent away. Fifteen minutes later, the train stopped at Bosco Planque. There, Don Camillo heard his name called, and, going to the window, he found Mayor Peppone and his entire gang. Mayor Peppone made the following speech. Before you leave, it seems to us proper to bring you the greetings of the people and good wishes for a rapid recovery, the which will enable a speedy return to your spiritual mission. Then, as the train began to move, Pepone took off his hat with a sweeping gesture, and Don Camillo also removed his hat, and remained standing at the window with it poised in the air, like a statue of the Risorgimento. The church at Punta Rossa sat on the top of the mountain, and looked like a picture postcard. When Don Camillo reached it, he inhaled the pine-scented air deeply, and exclaimed with satisfaction, A rest up here will certainly do me good, the which 
will enable a speedy return to my spiritual mission. With that, let's wrap up this podcast. Come and visit us at the blog, wdtprs.com, Whiskey Delta Tango, Papa Romeo Sierra. We have wide-ranging discussions there, which uh, for the most part go along pretty well. There's a little venting now and then, some venting. I don't mind a little venting, but I think for the most part, people do a good job to express themselves while remaining relatively charitable. I think there is a little room for expressing frustrations at times and we can we can deal with that on a on a human level as long as we always redirect it back to the point of the discussion and also uh, the fact that we have to treat each other with charity. I'll be back again soon with another podcast. Not sure maybe tomorrow, maybe I'll do one for all souls. But until we do come back, for another podcast, please remember to pray for me as I will for you.